0: Happy Father's Day. I don't normally do breakaway one-off sermons for Mother's Day and Father's Day. Um, On the rare occasion when I do, it's normally more towards Mother's Day rather than Father's Day. In fact, I was curious, so I went and looked. In the 14 years that I've been preaching here at Santan Bible Church, I've done eight special one-off messages for Mother's Day and a three for Father's Day. Uh, This morning will actually be a fourth, so we'll catch up to 50% of the dear ladies. It's actually interesting because going into this, I had an idea about doing a special one-off message as we were going through Hebrews that had absolutely nothing to do with Father's Day. As I was considering and being blessed so immensely by God's treatment of His rest, the spiritual rest, the physical rest of God, and even the spiritual ultimate final rest of God, in Hebrews chapter 3, I think it's verses 11 and 18, six times in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. There was one chapter, there was one portion in the Old Testament that I had on my mind that I thought a few times about going towards in those sermons, but I never did. And I decided back when I was preaching through there that I would do a sp- another special one off message on the topic of rest. And as it so happens, it happens to fall on Father's Day, which is another occasion of where God takes his providential alignment of things coming together because in Genesis chapter 5, the word Father appears 19 times. Beloved, please take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 5. Now we know From the word of God we know from human existence from God's creation and from his special revelation in the Bible that motherhood is massively important so also fatherhood is massively important. And as I was considering doing this special kind of twofer, special one-off message dealing with both rest and fatherhood this week on Father's Day of the year 2022, I came across a news article. The title of the news article is America's Crisis is a Lack of Fathers. The authors, there are three authors that they didn't appeal to Scripture in particular, but it's clear from the content of their article that they are at least basing it on biblical truth of the importance of fatherhood. One of the authors is a retired NFL safety named Jack Brewer. There's a congressman from Florida named Byron Donalds, and then the third author is both a retired NFL safety and a congressman, this time from Utah, Burgess Owens. And this is what these men say in part in this article. Quote, data from the United States Census Bureau shows that nearly 18.5 million children grow up without their fathers, which has in return led to the United States owning the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. The authors continue, Approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, therefore leading to nearly 25% of our youth growing up without a father in the home. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, and over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcoholic treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. The data show children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent household. Furthermore, research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. Beloved, we know, again, from human experience, that fathers are massively important, but infinitely more pressing, more compelling is the Word of God tells us this. And that is precisely what we see in Genesis chapter. 5. Now, Genesis chapter 5 is one of those magnificent chapters, portions of Scripture, where they go through a genealogy. And All Bible-believing Christians know when we think of Genesis, especially when we think of Genesis 1 through 11, of the massive importance of taking God at his word, understanding that in these 11 foundational chapters of the entire Bible, that to take what God says literally lays the foundation for the rest of all the doctrines, all the doxology, all the practical applications of what God would have for us as men and women. So all Bible-believing Christians do understand that, but many might not realize that two out of these 11 chapters are fully devoted to genealogy, chapter 5 and 10. Two others devote significant amount of them to genealogies, namely chapter 4 and 11, so that Depending upon how you calculate it, somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of Genesis 1 through 11 is devoted to genealogies. One other element we can think of, when we look at what the information is that we're given in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, these are the only account of the world and what took place in between creation and the flood. Over 1,656 years of foundational human existence. The only record, the only account, is found in Genesis 4 and 5. Beloved, follow along as I read our text here this morning, which will be all of Genesis chapter 5. Now, having said that, I'm not going to do a full exposition of the whole chapter. If you want to explore in more detail, I did three different sermons out of Genesis 5 back in 2014 when we were preaching through Genesis. But Beginning Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1, this is what the word of God says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. And then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel. And then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Beloved, this is the word of God read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Now, beloved, what we'll see in these beautiful, magnificent 32 verses are four movements of the text. We see the promise of life and death, the cycle of life and death, the escape from death, and finally the promise of rest. And the intent here is that all of us, fathers, mothers, singles, young and old, would be encouraged by the word of God, by the testimony of God in a godly genealogy, in a godly lineage. And in particular, that fathers, that we would be challenged to excel yet more in all that we do as the stewards of the children that God has blessed into our care. So, The first movement, beloved, is the promise of life and death. And I would say a main point of this genealogy, a main point of chapter 5 is God's faithfulness to his word. Namely, that this is the fulfillment of his promise of life and his promise of death, which we've seen earlier in the book of Genesis. God's promise of life. Beloved, what the first five verses Of Genesis chapter 5 communicate to us is that even though the world is marred and stained and corrupted by sin, man still bears the image of God. Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 God made man in his own image. Come, let us make man in our own image. Male and female, he made them. They sin, Man sin. God's curse came upon the world, on his creation, on the man and upon the woman. But his image is still there. The imago dei still goes on. His promise endures. And <clears throat> this genealogy in verse 1 begins with what we could think of as something of a chapter heading or a chapter title. The book of the generations of Adam. Now, you may remember that in the original Hebrew and even in the New Testament, in the original Greek, there were no chapter divisions, there were no verse numbers, but in what we have, the 50 chapters of Genesis, what we have in this volume of the first book of the Bible written by Moses are built in in the Hebrew. You could think of it as 10 chapter divisions, 10 Toledoth, generations. The Hebrew word Toledoth is a generation. this is the second out of the 10 generations generations that we see these kind of divisions of this great book there is the generations of the heaven and the earth the generations of Adam the generations of Noah and the sons of Noah and Shem and then the generations of Terah the father of Abraham and then Ishmael and then Isaac then Esau and finally Jacob this is the second out of these chapter divisions if you will But verse 1 continues. It says, in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, the word likeness, that's different than the image of God, both the English and the Hebrew, than the image of God we saw back in chapter 1. But the point here is we are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Certainly, God's communicable attributes, His communicable perfections are part of what constitute who we are. But one way in which we can perhaps best understand what it means for you and I to be made in the image of God is that we can relate to one another in in a way and in a manner that the rest of creation, the animals, cannot relate to each other. And even more importantly, we can relate to God. We are able to know him, to obey him, to love him, and to worship him. Continuing on, he created them male and female. And he blessed them and named them man, literally, and called their name Adam. Uh, the word Adam, sometimes it's the personal name of the first man. Sometimes it's the name of collective of humanity. In this case, of Adam and Eve, of the man and the woman. He called them, he called their name Adam so that tells us there is a unity we understand that male and female that there is an ontological equality of men and women we are equal absolutely equal in worth and essence fundamentally because we are all made in the image of God And at the same time, as we saw even back in Genesis chapter 1 and going forward here, besides the unity and the commonality and the equality, there is also a hierarchical role relationship between the man and the woman. Men and women, male and female, are equal before God, but not indistinguishable. One very clear and obvious application is that men are men, not women, And women are women, not men. But we continue. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So we see likeness, and we now see the image that we saw back in chapter 1. This is the blessing of the image of God passing on despite the fall despite the curse this is God's good word of life fulfilling his promise of life passing on despite the sin of man verse 4 then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years so the point here is not just physical life but a long life, a very long life. Uh, The point here is that Adam and Eve weren't instantly vaporized. God didn't take them out right when they sinned. He granted them centuries of life. This is part of God's grace and his patience. And this is part of God's common mercy. And in fact, beloved, as we continue to go through Genesis chapter 5, Part of what jumps out from the page is God's common mercies of life, family, children, blessing. And understand this, that we as new creatures in Christ Jesus, we who have been given the blessing of spiritual life, we who have had God put life where there was no life before, spiritual life where there is only spiritual death, being born sinners, we have the responsibility to Bring the word of life to a lost and dying world. In a word, beloved, you have been given spiritual life so that others might live. You've been given spiritual life so that you will enjoy the presence of your Savior forever and ever in heaven. You've been given spiritual life so that you can now, even on the side of eternity, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And again, you have been given spiritual life so that others might live. Bring the word of life to a lost and dying world. That is God's promise of life. Also, we see God's promise of death in verse 5. God's word of life is true, so also God's word of death is true. And In fact, consider God's word in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17 in contrast set against Satan's lie in chapter 3, verse 4. Genesis 2, 16, Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day in which you eat of that fruit you most certainly surely shall die. Dying you shall die. Moses uses the most intense form of the Hebrew grammar. Absolutely, most certainly you shall die. And then Satan's lie is in chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. This is part of a sequence. There were three layers of the deception of the father of lies to the woman accelerating in his opposition to the truth of the word of God till finally the father of lies matches the intensity of the word of the father of life and said, you surely, most certainly shall not die, but... What we know from our human experience now and what we see jumping out again and again in chapter 5 is that God's promise of death is true. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Eight times in this chapter we see, and he died, and he died, and he died. It is, to be sure, a fulfillment of God's judgment, of his word of judgment. But understand this the physical death is also a measure of mercy. There is always a measure of mercy in God's word of judgment, or at least the possibility of mercy in God's word of judgments. We already mentioned that Adam and Eve weren't instantly taken out of the way. They lived 930 years. And Just for a moment, can you imagine what that was like for Adam and Eve? We, ourselves, as we live, some of us live longer as we go on, and we see the degradation and the depravity and the wickedness of the culture at large and how it bears a burden on our heart. Can you imagine for centuries, for 900 years, seeing the world multiplying and wickedness and violence multiplying, and in the case of Adam, realizing that the death and the devastation and the destruction were due your sin. But Adam and Eve were believers. We know this from the end of Genesis chapter 3, but surely they had that weight of responsibility on them. Surely they were longing for redemption unlike any other because they and they alone experienced life without sin for a short time. So, There is a measure of mercy, but there's an even greater measure of greater mercy. Go back to chapter 3, verse 22. After the fall, God says, chapter 3, verse 22, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. This is a Triune God speaking among the Trinity. The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, dot dot dot. It's an unfinished thought. It's a incomplete sentence. Depending on your translation, you might have some kind of dash at the end there. And that's not Moses forgetting what he was going to say. That is a deliberate literary device that god put in there the point that he's trying to bring out here is the thought of man eating of the fruit of the tree of life in his polluted corrupt sin stained sin cursed body is unimaginable it can't even be stated it's so horrifying to think that's why if you go on to verse 23 chapter 3 therefore the lord god sent him out from the garden of eden Verse 4, so he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction. And were the cherubim there, were the angels with the flaming swords, were they there primarily to guard Adam and Eve from getting back into the Garden of Eden? No, look at what it says, to guard the way to the tree of life. Beloved, the point here is the primary purpose of Adam and Eve's banishment from the garden was not their punishment, it was their protection. God, by virtue of his being a merciful, gracious God, is protecting Adam and Eve from living forever in a state of sinful corruption. He's protecting them from living forever in the presence of God in an unworthy fashion. So when we think of the common mercies of God that we see in Genesis 5, certainly life, blessing, family, children, and even death, physical death, is a common mercy for those who belong to God, for those who are in Christ. So that is the promise of life and death. Next movement that we see here is the cycle of life and death. And I think at its most base level, this genealogy, beloved, has been inserted here to show us that God keeps alive his promise to Eve. Back in Genesis 3, verse 15... God, when he was pouring out his judgment, told Eve that a seed of her would come and would crush the head of the evil one, would bring redemption, would bring rescue from sin. And this golden chain of salvation stretches from creation to the flood. It stretches from Adam to Noah. And that's a primary purpose that God has for the original audience and for you and for me. And what we see here briefly is historicity, personality, longevity, and vitality. First, historicity. Adam, as I mentioned before, Adam Adam is the personal name of the first man. And that first man is not a metaphor. Adam's not a metaphor. Adam's not a tribe. Adam the man is not the first self-aware caveman. He was the man created by God in the image of God. Also, in terms of the historicity in the whole chapter, there's no skipped generations in this genealogy. These 10 generations that we see from Adam to Noah are the exact same generations, same names that we see in 1 Chronicles 1 and in Luke chapter 3. Also make note that this genealogy is the only genealogy in the Bible with these exact detail ages and lifespans that God gives us here and he does it, beloved, for a reason. So there is historicity. There is personality. The personal names that we see here. The one commentator, he was a doctor, Paul Tunier, in his book, A Doctor's Casebook in the Light of the Bible, had this to say. Listen to what he said, quote, The personal God makes man into a person. In the view of the Bible, the link between God and man is a link between persons. It's this that makes man a complete being and responsible before God. One is struck on reading the Bible by the importance of proper names. Whole chapters are devoted to long genealogies and with these series of proper names bearing witness to the fact that in the biblical perspective, listen, man is neither a thing nor an abstraction. He's not a species nor an idea, he is a person. And again, beloved, this points us to the fact that you and I, being made in the likeness of God, being made in the image of God, can come to know him, obey him, love him, and worship him. Now, as we go through these generations, uh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Methuselah, and Lamech only appear here and in 1 Corinthians 1 and Luke 3. Seth and Enosh also appear at the end of chapter 4, but Adam, Enoch, and Noah are the biggies. So there is historicity, there is personality, and clearly when you read through this, there is longevity. Seven out of the nine of these men that, whose deaths are recorded here live over 900 years. The average age of these, not including Enoch, because he was a special one-off, the average age of the others is 912 years. When Lamech, when Noah's father is born, he's the ninth generation alive at that time. So no matter how one might classify longevity, this is a huge, significant longevity. Consider also what this means. Adam lived until Methuselah was 200 years old. Methuselah lived until Noah was 600 years old. So one man, the man Methuselah, spanned the bridge from creation to flood, from Adam to Noah. On the other side of the flood, Shem, the son of Noah, lived until Abraham was 150 years, which means he lived until Isaac was 50 years old. Shem's great-grandson Eber, Eber's not in this list here, Eber we see is in Genesis chapter 11, but Shem's great-grandson Eber, and by the way, the name Eber, that's the etymological origin of the word Hebrew. Eber lived into the time of Jacob. So, beloved, the whole point here is this, for the vast majority of mankind's history, believers didn't have the word of God in written form at their fingertips. There's been a massive reliance on the oral tradition. And part of this longevity that God had in the antediluvian world, in the world before the flood, and even into the patriarchal times of the fathers, means that it wasn't many generations that they were hearing the truth as from their great-grandfather, even centuries and centuries later. Very important for the passing of the truth and the passing of the faith. Finally, vitality. It's interesting, the earliest age of the father at the birth of his son in this list is 65. The average age of the fathers at the birth is 156, and Noah had three sons when he was 500 years old. That's vitality. That's a vitality in a way we can't even imagine in this day and age. So, there's an ongoing cycle, beloved, of life, blessing, family, children, and infinitely more important, there's an ongoing cycle of faith. Look at chapter 4, verse 26. So, in that first mention of Seth and Enosh, to Seth, to him also, Genesis 4, 26, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Men began to call on the name of Yahweh. He began to call on the name of Yahweh. So there is a cycle of physical life. There is a cycle of spiritual life. It, the conservative thinker, Dr. Jordan Peterson, uh, made this statement. He wasn't stating in the context of Christianity, but again, the foundation of biblical truth is at the heart here. Dr. Jordan Peterson said, If you can't bring peace to your own household, how dare you try to run a city? Now, he said that in the context with political overtones, but the point here is well taken. What we have here is a cycle of spiritual life, of a godly lineage, of passing the faith on. And there's a contrast, a huge contrast between this genealogy of Seth in chapter 5 and the briefer genealogy of Cain in chapter 4. Cain and Seth give birth to two different cities, two different societies, two different cultures, two different humanities. There is the culture of the godless in chapter 4 and the culture of the godly in chapter 5. The one, the former, will pass away in dust. The other is blessed by God and will endure forever. And so, beloved, this is the line that continues to call on the name of the Lord. Adam taught Seth to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth taught Enish, and that was actually when men began to call, to call on the name of the Lord corporately. Enish taught Kenan, Kenan taught Mahalalel, and Jared, and the list goes on. One family, one lineage of godly fathers. It's interesting, we often, whether we're a Christian father or a Christian mother or a Christian, we often identify our worth with what we've done. But beloved, that's not the point here. It's not about what we've done. It's what we produce. What we produce in terms of godly generations, generations of grace. By God's grace and mercy, biological blessing of have your children walk in the way of the Lord. The spiritual of blessing that we pass on to our spiritual sons and daughters in the body of Christ. That is what matters and these men that we see here these are men who stood for God when everything in their culture was going the other way so there's the cycle of life but there's also the ongoing cycle of death and it in some sense takes over this genealogy so there's historicity longevity vitality there's also depravity and mortality the depravity part, we saw that in vivid color, or you would see that back in Genesis chapter 4. But imagine if we can imagine Adam, or we can imagine these men living of Enoch, we'll come to in a bit, who 300 years walk with God. We, I mean, it would be incredible to think of what kind of sanctifying effect that has, but... On the other side, for the mass of humanity that is growing and expanding during this time, what does 900 years of hardening of the heart, 900 years of giving in to temptation, when we contemplate that, we'll realize that what we read God say in Genesis 6, 8 and 4, that when he looked on the earth, there was just violence and wickedness and utter depravity and ruin because corruption runs in the flesh not righteousness even among this genealogy a sinner will produce a sinner by birth a saint cannot produce a saint by birth by God's blessing and mercy a godly father godly mother can produce a saint be used by God to produce a saint, by fearing God, by training and teaching your children, by loving your children, by modeling and demonstrating the truths that you sing, the truths that you read, the truths that you teach, and by shepherding your children. Well, that's the depravity, but there's also the mortality. And beloved, what we see eight times, and he died, and he died, and he died. The black cloud of death hovers over the human race, even as that phrase hovers over chapter 5. Many commentators have said Genesis chapter 5 is like walking through a cemetery. It's death marching through chapter 5 from Adam to Noah. And it reminds us, by way of application, what the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. But, whether it's, Hebrews, whether it's Genesis 5, but death is not, does not have to be the final answer. There's the promise of life and death, the cycle of life and death, and there is the escape from death. In verses 21 through 24, we find in the midst of this fascinating genealogy, a most fascinating man, a beacon of hope, a powerful illustration of grace. Martin Luther said that looking at these 10 generations of men that the men in this chapter in this genealogy are the greatest heroes of the faith except for Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. And out of these great heroes of the faith beloved one man Enoch stands head and shoulders above the rest because Enoch shows there is hope to conquer death. And even as We read verses 6 through 20. It was the exact same pattern. The names changed and the years changed, but it was the exact same pattern. Then Seth lived so many years after he became the father of Enosh. Then Enosh lived, et cetera, et cetera. There's a break in the pattern, verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years. There's an interruption in the pattern. Walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. In fact, we see the phrase walked with God twice right here. And this is another case where he uses this grammar of intensity in the Hebrew. Literally, he walked about with God. It was his habit. It was his pattern. For 300 years, he had a walk with God of intimacy and fellowship in a most unique manner. Taking later biblical truths and applying them back to what this meant for the man Enoch, it means Enoch in light of or excuse me in, in cast against the darkness of the wickedness of his time Enoch was on the narrow path he followed the way of salvation he walked Enoch walked with God when no one else did or when practically no one else did he's an example Enoch is a stellar example of faith standing alone a stellar example of courage for the Lord so in the middle of this march of death through the cemetery of Genesis chapter 5, God overruled death on behalf of Enoch. Enoch's companion during his life, for 300 years of his life, was his companion at the end of his life, and so he escaped death. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, but not Enoch. Look at verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him we can have the inspired commentary of the author of hebrews hebrews 11 verse 5 by faith enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because god took him up okay that's we already got that from genesis 5 but look at what it says at the end for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to god Beloved, dear friend, there is nothing better that could be said about a man or a woman than he was pleasing to God. She was pleasing to God. The best things, the truly best things are known except to God. We read about what men show to others in their biographies, but their walk with God is deeper and unwritten. Only eternity will reveal that. And I love this. Listen up. Everyone, but especially fathers. The best men hide themselves with God before they show themselves to men. The best fathers hide themselves with God before they show themselves to their children. And we can ask the question, what was it that Enoch believed some 3,500 years even before the time of Christ? The author of Hebrews gives us the answer in Hebrews eleven six. Enoch believed that He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who seek him. So Enoch believed in God's existence and he believed in God's excellence. He believed in God's reality and he believed in God's reward. He believed in God's being and he believed in God's bounty and blessing. And so Enoch walked with God. He pleased God. He also preached for God. Jude 14, Jude also writes of Enoch. He says, Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 14, Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. He prophesied, he preached. George Whitfield said that Enoch was a flaming preacher. And he says he's a seventh generation from God. This lines up again with the exact precise details we get from Genesis 5. And also on a side note, two of these ten men in Genesis 5 have counterparts in Genesis chapter 4. There's an Enoch who was of the lineage of Cain, third generation from Adam in chapter 4. And there's also a Lamech, an ungodly Lamech there. So the seventh generation here tells us, and testifies to the veracity of the details of chapter 5. More importantly, it tells us we're talking about God's Enoch, not the devil's Enoch. Jeffrey Thomas, the Welsh pastor, said this by way of great application. The devil has his men and women, and God has his men and women. The devil has his doctors, God has his doctors. The devil has his convicts, God has his convicts who by his grace are lifted out of a life of crime. The devil has his lawyers. God has his lawyers. We had one of them singing to us up here up front and a beautiful wife sitting, another one sitting next to him. But back in Thomas' quote, the devil has his housewives who gossip and flirt and sometimes commit adultery. God has his housewives who establish godly homes and raise their children in the knowledge and love of Jesus. End And I'll append this statement to Pastor Thomas's, the devil has his fathers and God has his fathers. May we be counted among God's fathers. And so Enoch was a preacher and Jude 15 next verse says that he continued his preaching that the Lord came to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, he really followed the way of soft preaching, of being a seeker sensitive. I mean, how many times can you say ungodly in one sentence, one verse? That was Enoch. He was indeed a flaming preacher. Beloved, the point here is, While the world was going to the pits, Enoch was faithful. And understand this, beloved, understand this, dear friend. God has always been far more concerned in a holy minority rather than some kind of moral majority. James Montgomery Boyce said this. Do you find yourself to be a minority in your family, your neighborhood, your business, or even your church? Don't be discouraged. It's always been this way. Apparently, God doesn't deal so much in quantity as in quality. Moreover, although the faithful are often few, praise God, they are also many at times. There are nevertheless always those few, and we are meant to encourage one another. Beloved, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And what the author of Hebrews told us at the beginning of 11.5, it was by faith. So by faith. The interpretive authority of the author of Hebrews, we see that Enoch in one giant leap jumped over the river of death by faith and walked onto the crystal pavement of heaven by faith. He was in the wilderness one day and the very next day he was in the promised land of eternal rest in the presence of God. Beloved. Dear friend, the message of scripture is a message of hope, a message that death is not the end for those who belong to God. So the promise of life and death, the cycle of life and death, the escape from death. Finally, the promise of rest, the promise of rest. We understand from this passage, we understand from human existence that even God's children don't escape physical death. But The child of God escapes eternal death, spiritual death, and the child of God escapes the wrath of God. And in verses 25 and forward, we see the same grammatical pattern that we saw earlier back in verses 6 through 20. There's no change in grammar, no change in words other than the names and the years. But there are three unique characteristics of Methuselah, of Enoch's son Methuselah, his Age, his name, and his death. His age, he's history's oldest human. Verse 27, so all the days of Methuselah were what? 969 years. We know that from our children's Sunday school year. The second unique characteristic of Methuselah after his age is his name. Methuselah, Mut Shalek. He died and it was sent out. He dies and it's sent, namely the flood. And then the third unique characteristic after his age and his name was his death. More specifically, the time of his death. I mentioned before that from creation of the flood, based on these numbers in this genealogy, was precisely 1,656 years. And beloved, it's no accident that Methuselah, lived longer than anyone recorded in Scripture. It's not just that one person had to be the oldest, and it just so happened to be Methuselah. It was the sovereign plan of God. He lives, Methuselah lives until the exact year of the flood. God, we will read in Genesis 6, appears to Noah when Noah is 500 years old. Methuselah is still alive. He's 869. And Noah begins the construction in obedience to God's word of the ark. He lays the keel. He constructs the ribbing. He fits the side. He lays the decks. Finishes the outside. The food's brought on board. The ark's finished. God, after this century of building, God brings the animals and they come into the ark on board. And Methuselah dies. God closes and seals the door and the flood comes. Beloved, as soon as Mut Shalek, as soon as Methuselah dies, it comes. But as long as he lives, it doesn't come. Everyone in this genealogy. So I mentioned Noah's uh, Noah's father, Lamech. Lamech, Methuselah's son, Lamech. Lamech, when he was born, nine generations were alive, but every single person other than Noah are all Passed away. They all died before the flood came, or Enoch was taken taken up. Enoch and Lamech are interesting. So, besides being the two that have counterparts in chapter four, Enoch and Lamech are the only ones in this list that outlive their, uh, or excuse me, die before their fathers. They're outlived by their fathers, both because of God's grace. In the case of Enoch, it was God's supernatural intervention that had him go home before his son. In the case of Lamech, it was God's providential intervention. Even when you look at the age, Noah's father Lamech dies a young man. He dies at the young man's age of 777 years in this list. That was 135 years, less than the average age of 912, and 118 years than the next youngest, Mahalalel. Beloved, the point here is God rescues his children before his wrath is poured out. When the last of God's children are rescued, Christ will come. Finally, there is the promise of rest. And the point here as we go into the last of this generations, a son is born. A son is born who will allow humanity to catch its breath and survive. Verse 28. And Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Lamech, like his grandfather Enoch, is a prophet. Because Lamech is the only one in this list who provides a written explanation for his naming of his son. He says, now he called his name Noah. Moses says, now he, Lamech, called his name Noah saying, quote, this one shall give us rest. This is the first appearance of rest in Scripture. We know from Genesis 2 at the beginning that God ceased from his creative activity before the flood. But this is the first rest on the part of man. And Noah and rest are similar sounding and similar meaning words in the Hebrew. Nachat and nacham. Rest. And what is it that this son will give us rest from? The rest of verse 29 from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. This is a reminder again of the curse of God, but there is hope, there is grace. There is one man, there is a son who is born, that again will allow humanity to catch its breath and survive. Beloved, this is the antediluvian history of redemption in one chapter, in one verse. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah. And he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. And Noah, last verse, chapter 1, th- 32, Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the three sons of Noah aren't listed in chronological order of birth. Japheth, we know, was the oldest. Ham was the youngest. Shem was the second born. But Shem is listed first because he's the son of promise. He's the child of promise. Beloved, it's not man who wills or who runs. It's God who chooses. And so Shem is the messianic line. Shem is the line of the promised eternal rest of God. And this eternal rest, this Sabbath rest, we know is not found in a place, it's found in a person. Though the dust of death, dear friend, is settled upon humanity, though the black cloud of death hovers over the human race, God established the principle of physical rest rest at creation so also God establishes the possibility of spiritual rest by redemption this is the good news of forgiveness of sin and the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ and I'll finish with a brief application that comes from the image, the image that was passed, the image of God that man and male and female were created in, and the image that passed from Adam to Seth. It's interesting, commentators looking at the passing of this image from God to Adam, then Adam to Seth, bring out three facets of what this means. There's the image of God that is passed on to man despite the stain of sin. That's the promise of life that we looked at before. There's also the image of sinful man, of man and his depravity being passed on. That's the inheritance of death that we know. And it's interesting, both of these facets of the image of God are completely outside of our control. That's part of who we are. When we are born, we are born and made in the image of God. And we are born children of wrath. We are born dead in our trespasses and sin because of the inheritance of death. But, There's a third sense in the context of this chapter, in the context of this genealogy where the image is passed on through these 10 generations, namely from one godly father to a godly son and on. That's why the image is here in chapter five and not in chapter four. And this third sense of the image of God being passed on from a godly father to a godly son is something we can do something about. We can testify to our children. We can teach our children. We can train our children. We can love our children. We can shepherd our children in righteousness and fear of the Lord. We can live by God's grace and mercy authentic lives before our children in Christ with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, God is writing down the book of our generations even now as we live. May it be said of us as it was said of these men. Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the timelessness, for the relevance, for the power, for the application for the beauty and the wonder of all of your word thank you for your grace and your mercy that passes wave over wave and generation of days gone by we praise you and thank you lord god for the generations of grace that we see unfolding in our day and age in santan bible church in our families i just have families and names running through my brain right now thinking of your grace and mercy and how this works out here lord god help us to be faithful in all these things Thank you, Lord God, for the godly fathers that are represented here, for the mothers, the singles. Father, help us to glorify you in all that we do, to sing the praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray and in your name that we sing. Amen.